Welcome, Wanderers, to the premiere episode of Visions, Veiled and Violent. We are presenting The Darkest Dream, the first chapter in our epic D&D actual play podcast series, set in the enchanting world of Zayate. Our forever dungeon master, Nate, will be guiding our brave heroes through the thrilling Red Star Rising adventure campaign, meticulously crafted by the masterminds at Gooey Cube. In this podcast, we delve deep into the heart of the weirded world where every roll of the dice and every decision made by our players give shape to a unique and fantastical tale we hope to weave for all of you. Join us as we embark on a journey filled with magic, mystery, and overplanned, under-executed misadventures. Whether you're a seasoned adventurer or a newcomer to the world of tabletop RPGs, there's something here for everyone. You can listen to our episodes on all major platforms, ensuring that the magic is just a click away. For those who crave even more adventure, please join us on Patreon, where you can access exclusive behind-the-scenes content and detailed insights into our characters' journeys. By supporting us on Patreon, you can enjoy early access to all our content and an ad-free listening experience. So, gather the party, sharpen all blades, and prepare your spells. Visions, veiled and violent, awaits, and the fate of Zayathe hangs in the balance. Thank you for joining us on this extraordinary quest. Let's get to it. Whoa. We set the scene at the Carnivale, this eclectic setting of festival tents and music and food and games, all set up outside of the small walled town of Nevermore. This Carnivale is one of many encampments of the Hanata's people, outcasts and travelers who are known throughout the land for both the amazing entertainment and skills that they can show to those who otherwise live pedestrian lives and also for being associated with ill omens and bad luck. But on this particular day, the 12th of Drazun, coming towards the dead of winter on the eve of a dark holiday, find five of these young Hanatas all gathered under the tall tent where the leaders of the Blue Veil troop come to issue orders and meet with the council and collectively decide the fate of their people. In this tent, there's a huge, hulking beast of a man towering over almost everyone with this thick, gray, almost like rhinoceros hide skin that marks him as being one of the blood-touched, someone who carries the blessing and the curse from the great ruin that befell this land many, many centuries ago. But you know him as Borag Vegla, your leader, and the one who is currently assigning you a very important task. As he looks to the five of you, five youths all gathered, he crosses meaty arms over his chest. Ah, you may wonder why you here. We have many close call of late. Last day for us to prepare for winter. Last day to get coin. Last day in Nevermore, but I need to make sure someone keeping eye on things while we get all that we need to survive winter. And so this is why I pick you, Zatis. You five. He leans over and he puts his meaty paw on the shoulder of small halfling lad Nevitz. Do you know why I chose you? Uh, no, no, Brogda, I, I don't know why you chose me. So he, he tilts his head a little bit and says, Okay, okay, this is test. Try again. As he goes and he puts his hand on the shoulder of a towering man next to the halfling, says, Adwale, why I choose you? Well, I would assume it's because of my stature, but I'm sure that's not just it. I'm the type of person who can't stand injustice. I'll stop it when I see it. And he, he clasps his hand on Adewale's shoulder and shakes him a bit with a big grin on his face. Like, yes, exactly. He goes and he gently puts his hand on the shoulder of a, a slender young human woman and says, Moor, why Borag choose you? Moor looks to him, kind of deadpanned, and says, For my sharp wit and good company, perhaps. Yes, exactly. Strength, cunning, cunning, greatest strength of all. He goes over, he sees 
another human man, one lithe and nimble, he puts his hand on his shoulder and says, Luthander, why Bolag choose you? Luthander looks up at uh, Borag and says, I assume it's because I really, really dislike orcs and if stuff's coming, I tend to see it. You see Borag squint a little bit and say, yes, not so much for prejudice, but for sharp eye. Keep sharp eye. See trouble coming, you stop trouble from ever getting to you. And he turns over to a strange almost mannequin-like figure dressed up in harlequin clothes. Borag reaches out and he almost like pauses for a moment like he's not quite sure he wants to touch this figure, but then puts his hand on Jericho's shoulder and says, Jericho, why Borag choose you for this task? There's a little bit of a flash in Jericho's eyes as like, and then it dissipates. Jericho trouble. Good. Borag Rubs his throat a little bit as he, he feels that sort of catching sound like someone has pulled his own vocal cords out of his throat. And he looks to Jericho and he tilts his head a little bit and says, Yes, sometimes the best way to fight trouble is with other trouble. Jericho, have talent for this. And then he wheels back around to see Nevitz once more. Puts his hand gently on the young halfling lad's shoulder and say, Now, Nevitz... Why Borag choose you for task? And Nevit, he just so wants to get the approval of uh, of all the elders all the time that he was just so happy that he gets a chance to do this. And he, he looks up in Borag and he says, Borag, I know that I would never let any harm come to any of our family, of the Blue Veil troop. And this is why you were doing Big grin across the, the large man's face. He says, yes, Nevit, this why. You have all powers combined. Strength, cunning, foresight, trickery, heart. This is Hanata's way. Look after each other to never shirk duty and to protect family. Today, I am counting on you for security. We know that local folk look for any excuse to blame Hanata's for ill omens even as they still want our magics and our goods, our entertainment and our games. So I'm counting on you. Stick together. Keep eye out for trouble. Find ways to make this good day for Blue Veil. Also, important, no killing. No killing. No killing. We cannot afford trouble of killing. Last thing we need is to be blamed for death. So close to having to get on the road. I want everyone look in eye. Tell me they understand no killing. Well, I'll do my best, boss, but it's hard to hold back sometimes. I'll do it, though. No killing. No killing. Jericho looks dead in his eyes with this, like, pupil, very dilated. No killing. And Borag catches himself for a moment and he looks over to, to Nevitz and looks over to Jericho. And he puts his hand back on Nevitz's shoulder and say, No killing, especially no Jericho killing, yes? Yes. <clears throat> yes. No Jericho killing. He's their family. This, this good day, I, I trust you, Zatis. You go and make Troop proud. And I am sure that with this, we will have good winter ahead of us. And as the, the big man is talking, he looks over Adwale's shoulder, something beyond the tent flap, and you can see his face go a little crestfallen as he mutters something under his breath. Adwale, what do you do? Uh, noticing the facial expression of Borag, Adwale's... Uh, yeah, what's going on? What are we looking at? Adwal, as you look over your shoulder, you see that there's a clearly one of the locals, a townie, coming in, except he has a trimmed beard, a very fastidious look with slicked back hair. He's wearing a polished breastplate. And he's flanked by four guards, all carrying billhooks. 
And as he approaches the tent, see him throw back his cape with a little flourish, peers inside the darkness. I've been told one of you is in charge. See, Borag look to the group here and say, Consider this training. Find me in the wrestling pit if anything go wrong. As he ducks out the back way of the tent. Nevit pulls on the leg of Edewale. Eddie, you're in charge. Why is it always me? Uh, I would happen to be the one in charge. Is there anything y'all need? The man lifts his chin a little imperiously. He gazes to the left and the right. And as far as you can see, it's a fairly idyllic scene. The air having that crisp winter smell to it with just a faint bit of, of leaves and some of the fresh grass outside. You can smell the kettles cooking as everything gets ready to open up at the mark of 10 bells. Uh, but you can see that in this person's face, they're they're not seeing this scene the same way. Adewale, uh, give me an insight check. All right, first roll. Oh boy, 13. Adewale, so you can tell that this is the look of a man who's looking for trouble. Like he is looking for some excuse cause an argument or a fight. And, and as he's doing this, you see that uh, one of the guards is, is looking over at, uh, at Moore and Jericho, and you can hear them whispering to their compatriot something just, just under their breath. They, they snicker at the two of them. Could I hear what he said? Uh, make a perception roll. That is a 16. One guard had leaned over and had been whispered to their friend, hey, Look at the freaky clown. Better one probably goes crawling into open windows at night to snatch babies. I like repeat that entire phrase back to him word for word, like in the same tonation. As, as you, the, 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 the two guards you know, look at each other, all the color draining from their faces in pure shock. As they, they harumph and clutch their pole arms a little more tightly in their leather gloves. The, the bearded man with the breastplate flourishes his cape a second time. Looking said, "Now, now, no sorcery, no trickery. I want to know exactly when this spectacle plans to clear off of our lands." You wish to know when we'll leave? I'll tell you when it's over and we're done. That's when we leave. Sensing tension in the air, Moore's going to try to discreetly move her body behind Lathander <laughs> to stay out of range of this. Also sensing tension in the air, <laughs> Nevitz is going to place himself between uh, the party of four and his seven-foot uh, friend and say, we leave on the morrow. We'll be, we'll be gone with the, the break of dawn. You see the, the man at the breastplate tip his chin a little bit dismissively say all the better for it sooner that this whole thing is departed the better for everyone involved after all I think you've had more than enough of our coin more than enough of our hospitality we've already had a bit too much of your witchery and trickery eyes Jericho with a little bit of suspicion well as long as Things remain cordial. We'll be out of your hair real soon here, mister. The man sniffs and is like, well, I'm sure that we'll be cordial as we can expect, given the nature of our interaction, but have no doubt I'll be having my eye on you as he flourishes his cape for the third time. When he turns on his heel, the, the guards follow with him, although the, you see the pair of them looking over their shoulder a little hesitantly at Jericho, still a little creeped out by the, the, the magic mimicry. Jericho waves goodbye. <laughs> Edward, they will turn and look down at Nevitz and kind of point, point out the fact that man sure liked to flip his cape, didn't he? That's, I found it quite odd. He he did, Ade. I think it was what we'd call an affectation. I don't know what that word means. I think you understand the context. Okay. 
So if I can now, as, as the group departs the tall tent and prepares to take up the important duties assigned to them by Borat, if you could just one by one describe what your character looks like and what they're wearing in this moment, because it may become important in the very near future. I mean, so Nevitz is a, uh, hopes to become a spell dancer like his adoptive sisters eventually. So as a, as a male, he's a fairly uncovered on the top, even as we get into the, the colder time of the year. He has a cloak, but he doesn't wear a shirt or a tunic underneath. He just has a, a bandolier across his chest and flowing pants and what looks to be probably some kind of dancing slippers so he can uh, twirl fairly uh, rapidly uh, around the center ring. Besides that, he has blue-tinted Coke bottle glasses and bright red hair. Uh, Adewale is wearing a kind of chain mail chain shirt kind of proper uh, fit with a bit of dark maroon, light maroon, and silver plating. He always has at least one weapon that he's forged with him, and today he has his great sword. Uh, he forgot his glaive, but he always puts the greatsword on for some reason. Um, he has his hair uh, tied back in a ponytail, but with thick dreadlocks, with still some coming down his back. And he has a nice, thick, luscious beard. Um, Moore is a human. She's tall and lanky, very sharp features, um, very kind of gaunt looking. She's dressed, uh, covered from her neck down, completely covered with gloves, and she has a giant shawl she kind of hides herself in. Um, she has a a uh, wooden quarterstaff and bright gold eyes, long, um, messy black hair, the kind of parts in front of her face. Um, that's more. Luthanda is dressed uh, in black. He's He's about six foot uh, lean, dresses in black, has a, a blue sickle stitched on the side of each arm. He carries a, a staff with him and uh, the clothing's quite functional. It's neat but functional, a bandolier as well and uh, brown hair, blue eyes, the hair's below the ears and kind of swept back. Well, Jericho... Is very slender. Uh, they wear a dark black bodysuit. Um, they have little frills on their cuffs and about their neck. Um, they're wearing like pale powdered makeup, and uh, they have lightish purple hair, kind of like you know the fit. And so. As the, this young group of relative, unknown, nobodies, youth plucked from across the land, departs from their tent to begin their rounds, smell the sweets in the air, and hear the voices of excited people coming to all line up to pay for tokens so they go and see all the merriments around them, some of the music picking up around you, and so the shouts of people observing the games of chance and the contest of skill, and it seems this is going to be the, a perfect, crisp, early winter day with only a few wispy clouds in the sky. With all of that, uh, I would like Kendra, if you would, to give me a wisdom saving throw. Oh, goody. Oh, <laughs> nat 20. <laughs> We're 26. All right. So, uh, so as you're you're looking around, uh, everyone else is getting their bearings, trying to, to situate themselves to probably get ready to discuss what route you want to take to patrol to make sure you've done all the stops needed to get through your shift. More briefly, feels this little little needling pain behind her left eye, like a little like a little jab, 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 jab. As she does, you can feel your skin go cold and clammy for a moment. Like it just feels like just been dunked into a bath of ice. And when you look, the sky is is 
pitch black, not a star in it. And you hear the sound coming from all the musical instruments distorted, just like like warbled, like you're hearing it from underwater. And as you look about for a one horrible moment, all the people around you, all the, the Hanatas, all the townsfolk, all the visitors are not themselves, but gray, shambling dead. And then you feel that stab, stab, stab in the back of your left eye once more, and when you blink, the vision is gone. That was a nat 20. Jeez. Thank God it wasn't a nat 1. Yeah. Um, more... Um, she then visibly tenses and freezes. And once the pain subsides, um, quick question, were my companions also undead or was it everybody but us? So notably in your brief vision, you didn't see them. Okay. Um, Moore doesn't know what to do with this information yet. So she's going to keep it close to her and be more visibly shaken, I guess, when the group reconvenes and just be on alert for any signs of undead. Fair, fair enough. Uh, so, but not sharing any information right now. It's fine. It's a valid choice. I don't want to, don't let me yuck your yum. Go, go for what you want to do. After a brief pause, she would kind of try to shake it out and just be like, um, I have this, uh, friend who sometimes... Well, she was telling me a story the other day in the tents um, about experiencing sharp pain in her left eye and then seeing people undead, but they weren't actually undead. That's kind of funny, right? It's it's something. I, I wouldn't call it funny. And so, so Nevitz, like his personality trait is that he's very perceptive, especially of his friends and family. And as always, look, he's kind of got this look of, do you think your friend has gone and seen the the Cirrus or one of the elders to maybe gain their thoughts? I mean, I'm sure it's um it's probably just lack of sleep. I mean, maybe she's not going too many drinks. I you know, it's who's to say? It's probably nothing. Again, it's probably just nothing. Well, Tell your friend, if any zombies do appear, I'll hack and I'll slash them. And uh, Nevitz looks up to Ade, and he just kind of gives him the look, just in case there was any doubt in Ade's mind. You can kill the zombies. There's no rule against killing the zombies. Okay. Good. Right, and, and as you're all just having that little heartfelt chat, uh, Lathander, would you do me the honor of giving me a perception check? Six. That went well. Okay. That's raw. Uh, that's perfect. Loving yeah. it. Uh, Thanks, Knight. So, so as you, as Lathander's listening into this awkward, stilted conversation among people that you've known for most of your life, you can't help but feel like you you should be thinking about something that just happened to slip your mind, but the distraction of your friends talking then just enough to tilt your senses in the wrong direction uh, that it's only when you you suddenly feel your belt a little lighter and you hear this incredible giggling sound coming up uh, as, as as someone, a figure, darts off in the direction between two tents. Luthand uh, uh, spins around, look in the direction. Can he catch a glimpse of who or what it was. Uh, so you see the silhouette of, uh, of about the size of Nevitz, uh, a little blonde girl in a sundress with a sort of nut brown skin uh, running off with what appears to be your weapon. So does Luthander recognize the kid? That's the, the first thing. Is it one of, one of ours? You recognize this as yeah, a young, almost like, borderline feral girl uh, named Vezi. She's 
Fay touched, so she has shown signs of of being blood touched and having some Fay ancestry with her, and she has actually been living with uh, Mother Salvenza, the seeress of the Blue Veil troop. Uh, but of course, Mother Salvenza is one of the oldest members of the troop, and not as fast as she used to be. So she's a little slow and decrepit, and this little hellion is known for running somewhat wild around the camp, and it seems like she has just nicked your blade. So Luthander bows his head a little bit, looks at everyone else, leans on his staff, and says, anyone here got a spare blade? This is not a good start to the day. Borag would not be impressed. Nevitz hands up a blade that's far too small for a human to use and says, I do have one, but that doesn't stop Vezzi from hurting herself. <sighs> Lysander sighs. You're right. I, I think we got to go get my blade back. Jericho's already slinking off in that direction. L- Luthander's still leaning on his staff. Hey, that's his thing. Likes to lean there uh, and says, let's, let's follow Jericho. Let's go uh, save this kid from themselves. Question for the DM. Can I fit between the tents very well? Oh yeah, these are these are, these tents are, are spaced big apart. Circus style tents that are they're fairly spread out, and so gotcha. they want to have room to get animals and draft horses between them. So it's there's not a lot of restriction there. Now inside the tents it can be cramped, but outside the tents you can navigate through those pretty easily. All right, let's go. Let's go get your blade back there. Make sure she don't hurt herself, Annie. We don't need that. And um. Nevitz reaches up and again tugs at the the knee pant of um, of Ade. Ade, uh, go ahead and put me on your shoulders. I'll keep watch while you all retrieve the blade. Aye, aye, Captain. And Adewale will bend over and kind of almost throw him over him, but gently place him on his shoulder. And yeah, Nevitz will just focus on perception. It probably doesn't take five of us to take a blade away from a child. So if Jericho's taking point, how is Jericho going to, to apprehend the junior thief? So I think Jericho's kind of like scoping out where she's going, and I'm going to try to like loop around a couple of the tents and then cut her off on the other side. Like, I think trying to be kind of stealthy, like so she doesn't know that I'm following her. I like it. Uh, can you make a stealth check? Let's do it. Ooh, that is a seven. Okay, and so as as Jericho is, is slinking around, come around the backside of the tall tent, you manage to wedge yourself between the tall tent and the stand where they're doing the puppet show with all the marionettes, and some of the, the children giggle at the, the sight of what looks like a life-size puppet walking past all the other puppets. And as you come around, you see that this, this, the gap between the tent of veils and the Cirrus's tent, where Lady Silvenza does uh, all of her visions and prophecies and fortune-telling, uh, you can see there Bezzy with Luthander's blade carving her name very crudely into one of the wooden posts holding up the, the tent. But she, she sees Jericho coming and, and waves merrily. Hi, Jericho. I'm, I'm writing. I learned how to write my name. See? And you see that she's got B... Z, Y in there so far and just managed to miss most of the vowels. I'll repeat back to her, your name? And then I'll, I'll go over and like take the sword from her. Like I kind of gingerly like, kind of like I grab the hilt of the sword, like kind of, may I? You know, but not saying obviously. She giggles a little and says like, oh, you're no fun. I thought maybe I could go and find some of the other local boys and we could have a fight. But... Mm-hmm. Probably not a good idea. She sheepishly hands the the, the blade over. She, she blushes a little bashfully when she looks at the Lathander because she, she knows that she being a stinker. Is like, I'll put my hand on her shoulder and I'll take the blade. I'll like point to the her name there and I'll I'll carve the vowels in. Uh, Adewale will place Nevitz back on the ground and kind of gently, almost as gently as possible with his massive frame push Nevitz towards the little girl you're better with the with the little ones than I yes it seems that Vezi has learned her lesson thanks to 
Jericho's intervention. And Vezzy pipes up and says, oh yes, I've learned so many lessons. I learned, learned how to spell. I've learned how to take things off people's belts. <laughs> I learned about birds and bees. Like I've learned so many things in this tent. It's It's been wonderful. It's great to see that uh, Mother Sylvesti is teaching you everything, apparently. Um, is Mother Sylvesti in right now? So she, if you looks over at that sort of forlornly at the, the tent and like, um, Mother Silvenza, she's she's busy doing her work. She has to go and find all of the fortunes for people and people want to ask her questions like, oh, how do I become rich? Will the crop be good this year? Does my wife know that I'm having an affair? But oh, it's so boring hearing adult <laughs> problems. I want to go do cool things like like you get to do. Do you, do you think I can come with you on the patrol? I think that might actually be the best way to keep you from trouble. But Nevitz kind of looks to the rest of the group and say, can we just keep an eye on her? But then he looks up to Moore and he's, you know, since we're at this tent, it might be an opportunity for us to ask Mother about your friend's vision. Adewale will pipe it. Wouldn't her friend need to be here for that? You know, um... My friend actually fell ill, so I can convey the message to them after we speak to Mother, of course. Um, you know, just we'll ask her, and then I'll know the answer to my friend's problems, and then I will convey that uh, meaning of their vision, and I'm sure they will take comfort in that knowledge. And Nevitz will go up and kind of flap on the tent, whatever the custom is among us uh, Hanatas for knocking on tents, uh, to see if uh, Cirrus is available. And as you come up to the tent, you know, this striped circular tent uh, with a nice flagpole flapping in the wind at the tip of it, you can see that that the front of it's opened enough to let the sunlight in, and there's a ruddy-looking farmhand there at the table, a crystal ball, and across from it this Incredibly wizened old woman. Looks like she's, you know, impossibly ancient. You know, this face kind of like a, a wrinkled potato as she's wrapped up in all these shawls and squinting into the ball. As she she spies you coming in through the door, she breaks out in this this big gap tooth grin, pats the farm hand on the you know, at the table, says, "Oh yes, do not worry, child. Do not worry. All will be good for you in this harvest. I promise. This will be year of bounty for you." The farm hand. Gets up, looking mighty pleased himself, and saunters out of the tent as Mother Salvenza you know, beckons you with her wizened hand. Da Frenta, please enter. So good to see the youths about on last day of Carnival. Would Adewale be able to fit if he, like, crouched or kneeled or crawled in? Yeah, you can, like, you can sort of muscle your way through there, I think. He'll he'll be outside waiting. Uh, Luthand is going to stay outside as well. He's like positioning himself to keep an eye on things outside. Uh, mother, I I hope his crops really will be coming in. And he kind of looks at Mother to see if this guy's crops have any chance. Chuckle a little bit to herself as she discreetly swipes some silver coins off the table into a little leather pouch and says, I mean... Probably be rain this next season, yes. So I think crop will probably be fine for a farmer. It's it's more about motivation than anything else, right? Hard work. That is what makes crop grow. And rain. And sunshine. And soil. And lack of war. But such things are beyond my sight. Uh, Nevitz definitely looks up to more and just says, uh, Mother, we um, have a friend who saw some things that maybe your sight could... Uh, enlighten us about. There was um, strange visions that were related to to more. I mean, related to me might be a stretch, um, and I, I'm sure, you know, um, he's just... We're just being overly cautious. Um, but, you know, one of the acrobats that I'm very close with, one of my acrobatic friends, that is definitely <laughs> a thing, um, they told me just recently um, that, you know, they were just out and about doing cartwheels and uh, all of a sudden they had a pain in their left eye and when they looked around, the sky was darkening and uh, blackened and 
everybody was dead. Undead. <laughs> but it's probably like a sleep or alcohol. I assume that's something that that does. And um, definitely not something to worry about. And as Moore explains this to Mother Salvenza, you see her face harden for a moment and her, her eyes narrow as she leans in, her bony hands gripping the crystal ball. She, she whispers desperately, girl, tell me true, this friend of yours, you said he had the vision? Yeah. She, she slaps the table. No, this is disaster. Every Hanatas know the sight only belong to the women folk. Only women have the sight. Great prophecies say, should male ever gain the power of sight, will mean doom of entire world. And she shakes her hands like, oh, oh I must consult the visions now. We must, uh, thank you for telling me, child. Now no we problem. must know if disaster is to strike. As she goes to the crystal ball and begins chanting, or... Are you yeah, yeah, sure it was your friend or was he just trying to protect his girlfriend and he was relaying her message? Possibly? Oh my gosh. You know what, Nevitz? Funny story. Um, That's true. That's what happened. So it probably was seen by a woman, Mother. By the if woman. that changes anything. Yep. So you see, you see Mother Silvenza to look up, eyes bright. Oh, oh. oh my Zati, that was... You give old women fright. Oh, oh yes. If it's if it's manifestation of the sight, that that is thing we can, can probe the divine and find the mysteries behind the veil. But oh, if if you were discussing the coming of the Mugda, oh, death of us all, ruin of world. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Um. So friend said she saw death. That seems unusual. I'm, I mean, doesn't, you know, death could mean rebirth or, uh, you know, it could mean, uh, it could mean so many things, right? Yes, and sometimes death means death. Well, yeah, that's one way to look at it. Or, or it could be, um, uh, we're all going to die one day, so live while you can. Girl, I know you have good heart, so I ask you to tell tell your friend that they must be very cautious when they first gain the power of the sight. Because well, they will they will find themselves attuned with the energies of the place around them. Sometimes the energies of a place tell story of of great hope and rebirth. Sometimes they tell stories of terrible evil and tragedy. So your friend must be always cautious because it could be a sign that some awful thing about to happen to them or it might be nothing like growing pain. So it's important just to make sure they keep eye out. If you have one vision, sometimes uh, just like the great gambler god throw the dice and sometimes the vision come wrong. But if you have vision of same thing, same thing, and same thing, and same thing, then your friend need to be very wary. That means the evil eye is upon them. Um, definitely will convey all of that. Um, what if they don't want to see anything? They're fine just seeing what's on this plane. Like, they don't... How do, how do they stop that? They don't want to know. They're just fine. Just chuckles a little bit to herself. Oh, girl... Friends should know that the site is both blessing and curse to Hanata. So, the only way for your eyes to no longer see the hidden world is for them to shut forever. This has been lovely. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Morse is going to sl uh, slowly like try to slide out of the tent, just awkwardly chuckling. <laughs> It's a lot of, uh, ooh, yeah, as she just kind of... As they, as Moore gets close to the tent, hearing the awkward chuckle, uh, at a while they will open the flap and let them out. Luthander's l leaning on his staff, and he just says, well, that looks like it went well. 
story of death. Yeah, Jericho pretty much covered it. As as you're gathered outside the tent, you know, conveying the the hopeful visions of Mother Salvenza, you see the 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 ruddy man who just emerged from the tent uh, just moments ago, coming back with this sheepish look on his face, with enormous just brick crap house of a woman right next to him. You know, the kind of woman who looks like she could snap a board in half with her bare hands. Uh, And two other equally brawny-looking locals on her side. She slaps the man on the back of the head. Says, All right, you cheats. Which one of you convinced my idiot husband to give our seed money for prediction of next year's crop? Um, it wasn't us. But I will say that it was of his own volition. Volition? Is that some sort of Hanata's magic? Sensing the tension, Moore is going to scoot to hide behind Nevitz. Uh, Luthanda steps up, basically is going to try and uh, smooth talk them, convince them that this is a wise investment. And uh, so he says... Hey, you know, you've got to spend money to make money, right? Uh, this is an investment in knowing when to plant, what to plant. You just spoke to one of the most amazing and wise women in all of the lands. All right, so the question of the hour is, does, does Luthander believe any of what he's saying? Of course. <laughs> okay, then roll persuasion. All right. Seven. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. That's that. That's with a with a four bonus. So that's great. Perfect. Great roll. Uh, I'm feeling good about that. So this went really well. I could see they're convinced. I could see it in their eyes. So you, you can see the the cords in this woman's neck stand out as her face gets beat red. And said, Spend money to make money. What sense does that make? We don't need. We need to be able to plant seed in the ground. You blooming idiot. Not that any of you Shazats would know, prancing around and stealing corn from honest folk. And, and as she's going on and on, you can see a, a crowd of townies start to look slowly meander over, just just intrigued at first by this, this woman who seems to be shouting at you quite loudly. Beautiful madam, the energies that Mother Savenza needs to spend in order to look into the future and beyond the veil do not come cheaply. Her, her own medication taking up most of what we said, as my friend truly does believe, we have to spend money to to make money, to, to keep her in the position to do this. That said, you have already spent money, and while we cannot forego what is already necessary for Mother Savenza, I believe what would put you in a right place is if we give you and your beautiful sisters and your very lucky husband free passes to see the shows for the rest of the day which would cover the cost and not take anything away from the care of my own mother. I'd like to make a minor illusion happen, like some sparkles start to form out of my hands, like kind of a, a bit of a, a show of what, what the show looks like, you know, as I'm like kind of weaving some like smoky sparkles around my fingers to kind of wow people. Razzle-dazzle. Yeah. Razzle-dazzle. And this, to everyone else out there, is but a taste, for we are apprentices at best, and those who are teaching us will be providing the greatest show that will happen before the end of the year to take you in. I'm going to make the smoke kind of like dissipate into a spark of fireworks when he says that. As you use your prestidigitation, see that the, the local yokels gasp back. <gasps> covers her mouth. Witchcraft! Stay away, Roderick, stay away! So you're pointing your finger like, oh, all right, you, 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 you take your, your blood money. Stay away from honest folk. I don't, I don't even know one horrid pact you've made to get such powers. They cower and, and, and melt back into the crowd, clearly having been, been thrown off by Jericho's display of the arcane. Jericho looks very dejected. They thought they did a good job with that one. Thank you very much, Jericho. That was extremely helpful. And I think effective. 
Yeah, Luthand is leaning on his staff again. <laughs> Jericho shrugs. Mm. And, and, says, the, and the world is right. Okay. Good outcome. I could have taken him. It's not always the solution, Addy, but I believe you could have. <laughs> Looks like Moore has a thought. Um, She's just kind of keeping her eyes to this crowd that seems seemed to have um, grown while we were standing there. Just making sure nobody's undead or making any weird movements. So as the, as the crowd disperses, you can hear that you feel the tension in the air bleed out for a bit. That's when you do see the, the, the tent flap opens and Mother Sylvenza comes shuffling out, you know, you peering into the light, blinking a little bit, and she sees the crowds disperse. Oh, oh, thank you, Frenta. Thank you, thank you. You've done great work to peacefully keep things level and to protect my humble tent. Borag, be, be so proud of you. She goes over and she pats Jericho's arm gently and says, Oh, yes, those with arcane gift, they must know that great burden not always understood and we must help people see that there's nothing to be frightened of. There's nothing unnatural about those who can command the the weave of magic in this world and and I think that in time you shall be and then all of a sudden her her grip on Jericho's arm goes an iron vice clamping in just you feel the tips of her fingers just digging into your forearm uncomfortable pressure as her her eyes roll into the back of her head and she stands there ramrod straight for a moment with her mouth hanging open she begins to, to mumble something. Far away in darkness lie the pace of them who live to die. The rot's decay comes from the deep. Their terrors in the shadows creep. The darkest night brings evil's rise. The screaming silence in night skies. A somber truth behind black stone. The lie you find is yours alone. In shadowed mist ye seek your path. In ancient depths ye seek his wrath. The time does come when all must choose. Learn well the trickster's godly ruse. And then just as quickly she lets go of Jericho's arm and says, And that is why it's very important to make sure we show that Arcane is nothing to fear. Uh, ma'am, do you not remember the entirety of what you just said to us? And she... Blinks a bit in confusion. She tilts her head. What I say to, to young Jericho, I tell Jericho, Jericho, good arcane trickster. Jericho has a gift and Jericho should be proud of gift. I, I believe you just said uh, a prophecy, prophecy, what you, that's what it's called, right? A prophecy? Prophecy. Oh, oh. Adawala, you, you sweet boy, but that's not that how prophecy work. But um, if I had time to to focus on crystal ball, and if I was to use the sight and focus, then mm. maybe different story. But but prophecy not something that just come out of sky like fairy tale. It's not how prophecy work at all. You give us prophecy now. Prophecy now. She she looks genuinely confused. She blinks and looks at the, at the rest of you. Hey guys, Moore's um, kind of kind of scoot over to the group and whisper, if we recognize that that was a prophecy. That means we probably have to act on it. But we can all pretend we just didn't hear that. I don't think that's how it works, more. I, I think that's how it works. If you, like, acknowledge it, then you have to, like, it gives it power, right? And if we just pretend like we never heard it, you know, it, I'm sure it'll be fine. It won't be a prophecy. Let's keep that as a possibility. Okay, but okay. Let, let, let's check out all avenues. Yeah, that's fine. Um, all the prophecy... I'm pretty sure, aside from all the prophecy talk we have going on right now, didn't Borag tell us to meet us at meet him at the wrestling pen or whatnot long ago? Before when he dumped the the cape billower on us. And Mother Sylvanza nods and pats Adewale's hands. Says, "Oh yes, yes, Ufrenta, you've you've helped Mother Sylvanza enough. You can go." Go find Borak. I'm sure he needs helping. You do so much for our wonderful troop. Anything you need for advice, Mother Selvenza is here. There's nothing to fear as long as Hanatas stick together. Luthander says to Mother Selvenza, what would you say 
if someone chanted something and then didn't remember that they had chanted, so their eyes rolled in the back of their head. We just want to be prepared. Do you see the old woman have a, a grave look on her face? Oh, no, this is this. That would be very evil sign. So such things only happen when someone carrying terrible curse or if someone is manifesting sight and cannot control it or you know, if there is something of, of grave evil power that is pressing down, you know, only powerful unchanneled magics would force someone to have spontaneous amnesic vision. But such things I have heard tale of, you know, when little girl, but some such a thing not to worry happen only in legend and fairy tale. So as Frenta, we, you know, we want to learn what to do. This sounds like an important lesson. If you, if we see that, what should we do? Uh, if you see that, then obviously the, the most important thing is to protect the family. Because the troop, we are all we have in this world. And when evil turns its eye on Hanatas, very few will ever lift hand to aid us. So we must be extra cautious when evil comes, Hanatas band together. Knowing the capabilities that Jericho has, Nevitz would like to go up and tug on Jericho's uh, shirt sleeve and say, can you can you repeat everything she said? As Nevitz pulls out his book, and if Jericho can repeat it several times like, to get word for word what it is down, he would like to, to bring that over and just put it in front of Mother Silvenza. I think I'm going to do that, like right now. Like instead of instead of asking Jericho to repeat it back because it would be in Mother's voice, so mm-hmm. to so as not to freak out Mother, yeah, he just asks Jericho to do it several times until he's got it down. Uh, he goes up and says, "Mother, the the particular quote in question that we were somewhat worried about had a rhyme similar to this. Does this passage smack of anything you might have heard of?" And he he puts forward his uh his journal. Uh, with the the script of that poem written out, so she peers over it, little, clearly looking like it's the first time she's come across these words. And Nevitz wrote the letters very big, knowing that this is mother. Oh, this is uh, this hard to understand what this could mean. Obviously, nothing good. The darkest night is, is reference to Dark Tides Eve tomorrow, time of great ill omen, tides to. Woe of ruin from ancient times. All these things of villain and night and death. I must go consult the spirits to see if I can determine meaning behind this. Where do you find such such strange prophetic rhyme? I'm just going to point at her. Just... For my friend. I think I think everyone knows that Nevitz really can't lie to Mother, so he's just kind of... Uh, uh, hoping someone else will lie. The acrobat, um, the friend, they also do that now, too. The friend's girlfriend. The friend's girlfriend. Mm, yep, yep, yep. There was a woman. Mm. Uh, ma'am, mother ma'am, to be frank, we heard it from you. I'm not, not one to lie to ladies. From me? Oh, Adewale, you must be mistaken. I've never seen this in life before. Oh, I, I could not make sense of, of uh, head nor tail of this. Well, very strange thing to say that I would say. You mention in the forgetting part of ill omen, you forgot that you said it. You said it mid-sentence, which was pretty impressive, and then went on to the old sentence. But aside from that, it was pretty, it's kind of scary, if I'm being honest. Hands tremble a bit as she crumples up the paper, holding it to her chest. This is most disturbing. Do not understand between young Moore telling me about friend's evil vision and this now. There's strange energy here. Energy unnatural. That is, keep eye out for anything unusual. I, I'm now very concerned that ill omen falling camp must be vigilant Till we strike the tents tomorrow, I, I now fear that perhaps, perhaps something 
on the edge of darkness becoming. And as she's as she's whispering this, um, do me a favor more and make a perception check. Nineteen. Yeah. All right. So more so, out of the corner of your eye, you spot a figure, and it seems completely normal at first. Just like there's a moment of motion in the corner of your eye. It just has catches your attention for the, the briefest of instances. But as your eye looks towards there, you see that it's not a person. It's almost like a silhouette. It's like if the world before you was a canvas and you saw the tents and the crowds and the animals and the children running around and someone had taken a pair of scissors and snipped out the shape of a man that was just pure darkness, except for a pair of smoldering eyes that was staring at you and your friends. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. And, uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, I am going to cast Detect Magic. All right. So you cast Detect Magic, and you found, as you cast this spell, you, you make your incantation, you get this enormous wave of necromantic energy, and it's so pressing. It's almost like it feels like a weight being pressed against your skin when you cast the spell. So potent is this energy. Moore immediately takes up a defensive stance with her um, quarterstaff, and not, she's not taking her eyes off of the silhouette the entire time. Um, she quietly tries to say to the group, um, "Do you do you see that? Do you sense that?" It is quite chilly out. Nevitz tries to see where uh, Moore's eyesight is at and tries to identify what she's looking at. Nevis perception check. Uh, Eleven. All you can see is the crowd. Seems to be n- nothing unusual. Luthander's leaning on his staff. Uh, <laughs> he sees his uh, his friends acting strangely and more taking a defensive position. So he immediately drops his staff, follows her gaze as well, whilst moving back towards the nearest shadow cover. All right, Lathander, give me a perception check. 20. Yeah, 27. Nat 20. Okay, here we go. Nat 20. All right, so Lathander, as you you follow her gaze, you see past a little crowd uh, cutting around by the Tent of Veils, you can see that by the wrestling pits is this big, burly, snaggletooth-looking local with a shaggy hairy back, scars on his shoulders and arms. Looks like he's limbering up to, to jump in the wrestling ring, and he, he has this aura of meanness around him. Is Borag in the wrestling pit? Can we see? Yeah, you can see in, in the wrestling pit, you can see both uh, both Borag uh, and his wife, uh, uh, Kalnessa, are, are both there in the wrestling pit, uh, and they're, they're taking on any comers as part of their shtick. And also there's a, a whole slew of locals who have gathered up there looking like they're ready to, to jump in at a time to try to earn some coin off of the, the Hanatas. Okay. So Luthander moves towards Moore and says, is that what you see? That big snaggletooth guy with the scars? Is Luthander looking toward the, the direction of the silhouette that I see? Uh, you you can try to, try to make sure you're seeing what he's seeing if you want to. Well, we're, uh, we're, trying to, we're going to compare notes. I just want to compare notes, make sure we're looking at the same thing. So I describe um, I describe the man that I see. Overhearing this, Adwal is like, mm. is he strong? Does he look strong? Luthan is like, yeah. I want to fight him. Let's just swap some notes. Yeah, that sounds... You could beat him for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Maybe picking up on Moore's refusal to break eye contact. I mean, Nevitz is kind of freaking out, and he just looks up and says, Moore, yes, Luthander's looking exactly where you're looking. 
I, I don't see anything. But you are looking at the exact same spot. Adewale wants to see the, the, the big thing that Luthander saw. Well, I am staring at um, an endless void of a human silhouette, man with red eyes, um, and I feel necrotic energy pressing against me. Um, seems death is the theme of today, and I mean, we can, I would much prefer to be seeing a strong physical man than what I'm looking at right now. Um, you don't gotta look too far, I'm right here. We think. Thank you. I don't want- <laughs> <laughs> that breaks more just for the briefest of seconds. And and the moment that Moore looks away and, and laughs, when you look back to where you are, no matter how hard you try, that figure is gone. Shoot. Moore kind of quickly spins around looking. Um, then when she can't find the figure, she kind of just like bangs her staff on the ground. Confession. <laughs> you remember that friend I was telling you about? It was really you, wasn't it? Let's let's fast forward. Let's fast forward more. You've seen a second vision. We should go to wherever this location is. I I, I didn't see what you saw. We should go there immediately. Luthander nods and is like, yeah, we pretty much worked it out. Okay. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Um, sure. Uh, more looks up to Etowale, the biggest of the group. Etowale, I will guide you if you would like to walk in front of me towards the silhouette that I saw. Would you like to ride on my shoulders too? Um, I'm okay having my feet on the ground, but thank you. While they're doing that, Luthander heads over to get his staff back that he dropped earlier. He looks down to Nevitz. Do you want to ride on my shoulders again? Let's go, Ade. And uh, fast walk, fast walk. Will they be able to keep up with me? Walk, walk, don't run. Puts him back in. Jericho's over by the uh, wrestling pit, by the way. She's like, <laughs> lean, leaning over this, like, the the um, railing, like, just like, hmm. like, looking at what's going on down there. <laughs> and as Jericho's looking over there, you see the huge, burly, scarred townie look over to Jericho and look down, look up. You won't see, you won't see the, the, the creaky wheels turning in his mind and Eventually, he's just like, he blows Jericho a kiss. Jericho looks very surprised. Pulls one back. Takes a little scarf off of her bodice and, like, throws it into the, the ring. Townie grin and it has the smile that would make a dentist see dollar signs in their eyes. Just all the snaggles of, of teeth and every which way. But he's, he's, he's now pretty pumped up as he... Clambers up into the pit, picks up the, the the scarf, gives it a long sniff, tucks it into his trousers, and gets ready to, to wrestle. <laughs> That's a little unsettling. I am curious, as, as we're approaching this scene, for someone who did not see the evil aura or anything, do I see a burly guy or do I see a guy really smitten with Jericho as we roll up on this scene? You see both. So you see you see a burly guy smitten with Jericho. As this is going by, uh, you can see that on the, the wrestling pit, which happens to be on the sort of the edge of the Carnivale camp, you see as, as everyone getting ready to, to watch this big wrestling match between the burly townie and Kalnese, who's the, the half-work wife of Borag, both getting ready to, to go into the pit. You see this huge fancy gilded carriage uh, come down the road with a, a couple of uh, Shuganshire greys, you know, all decked out with their manes braided, coming along with a couple postmen. Looks like that someone, some very fancy person has arrived just in time to watch the event. And you see that in there is a finely dressed woman uh, with a parasol, with the skin tone that looks like she hasn't done a, a day of hard labor in her life. And, uh, and sitting next to her is this Little precocious, uh, smiling blonde boy with a bob cut, and she's you know looks at us like, oh, oh, look, Smedley, look at the people, and the and the the boy he goes like, oh, oh yeah, 
look, Mama, look, Mama, there's, oh, there's a tent with magics and a puppet show. And he, he looks over his shoulder like, oh, and they even have a bear. And that's when you hear this thundering roar come out of the tree line as an enormous, shaggy, mangy-looking brown bear charges out from the woods towards the carriage. And that's where we're going to pause for this episode. We'll see you all back next week. I'm going to let you know that if Adewale can see this happen in any way, shape, or form, he's charging that bear head first. (laughs) Of course you are. I, I want you to know... If Adewale charges, Nevit's only plan is to cling onto his ear so he does not fall <laughs> off of a running seven-foot giant. 